0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 830 or 1045. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. How are you? It's good to meet you. (laughs) I say all that this morning, just greeting you this morning as we read the scriptures today talking about who do you say that I am? Who are people saying that I am? And so let's read scripture this morning. It comes from Mark 8, verses 27 through 38. It is going to be on the screen. It also uh, is in your Bible. So let's begin reading scripture together this morning, Mark 8, 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, well, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on divine, not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd in together with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my word in this adulterous and sinful generation of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to to God. God. And so this morning, I I greeted you. Good morning. How are you? So nice to meet you. You know, people get to know each other in different ways and we do that. It's, It's kind of our standard ritual. Now it's, we would typically reach a handout of fellowship and handshake. Now it's a, how powerful and strong is your elbow bump? And so now, you know, there's other, well, we do that. That's typical, that's our cordiality that we have for each other. And then there's other ways to find out about people and how is that? Well, we just ask someone. Well, what do you know about so-and-so? Have you ever known anything about them? What's their story? What's going on with them? I remember years ago when I was in nursing school, I don't, I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. And you know, I was there, and we would, you know, we would kind of be marching up to that day of registration where we had to uh, register for the next semester. So we're putting our heads together going, do you know this instructor? Do you know that instructor? And we would all get this great input. Oh, you don't want this guy for anatomy and physiology. He doesn't even know that there's an A or a B in the grading structure of Northwestern State University. And this particular clinical instructor, pray you don't get her because she tends to kind of eat her young and so here we are (laughs) in scripture today we are on the road to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus has his disciples with him and they have stopped or maybe just slowed down a little bit on the road you could liken this scene to that of like a political campaign what do the polls look like guys what are people saying who do they uh, who how's it coming out with those uh focus group polls what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? You know, and it seemed easy for the disciples to respond. They just kind of came back with their litany of answers. You know, you can see it. If you ever watch West Wing, you know, they're just roaring down the halls. And they're just going, oh, you're the Messiah. You're the, res- you're the resurrected John the Baptist. You are Elijah. You are one of those great prophets like Jeremiah. At least what the guys on Facebook are saying, Twitter, Instagram, that's what we read on all those sources. Well, and then Jesus, he just kind of turns and asks a very personal question. I'm sure he just kind of scanned his audience, the disciples at that time, and he was like, well, okay, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So there's two different kinds of communication. At least we'll talk about this, just these two kind today, communicated knowledge and revealed knowledge. Communicated knowledge is where you just kind of ask someone else. You hear from other people who that person is or what that circumstance is and uh, revealed knowledge, that is when you learn and discern for yourself who someone is, when it's been revealed to you without that third party in between. So let me set up the context of the social kind of the context of where we are socially, culturally, where we are in scripture right now. Right now we're in the shadow of the war between the Jews and the Romans and it's looming over Mark's community right now. This is around 66 to 70 CE. So we're here and clearly Jesus, who they confess as Messiah, has not freed them from the Roman oppression and domination as it was predicted, as they hoped. Remember, this is the one the Jews were sure the Messiah would be. The Messiah, the one who would conquer and take down the Romans, winning freedom for all those Jewish people. And this understanding has not escaped Jesus. So he says, guys, I'm wondering, who are people saying that I am? So this gospel reading today kind of comes at a mid- midpoint, kind of a hinge point in this particular, uh, well, in the ministry of Jesus. We're at a kind of a midpoint, a hinge point. There's two threads that have kind of intertwined in this first half, if you could call it that, of, of just at least the scripture in Mark. The growing affirmation of Jesus' gifts as a teacher and healer on one hand, on the other hand, building tension between him and the religious authorities. Now, it's at this moment in these conversations that he's having with his disciples that the door kind of swings on its hinge. Jesus and his disciples have been teaching, preaching, healing, and now Jesus and the disciples are headed to Jerusalem. And he's about to tell them, he's about to let them know that it's just not going to be pretty, uh, the journey in scripture, at least from this point, you know, as the drama kind of builds, it kind of seems to roll fast forward a little bit faster, almost kind of downhill. We know it to the inevitable conclusion. We know it. It's the cross and that ultimate open tomb. They don't. And so it's a hinge point when you're moving in one direction, either in things that you believe or a path that you're on. And then there's an event. Do we maybe know a little bit about that? Something happens and life changes and our focus will change. Just when you think things are neatly settled, change comes and we either, well, we do, we fight it and we agonize over it, maybe both, all at the same time. And, and then hopefully, God willing, we walk into a new direction, into this life that has been set upon us, maybe with some expectation, maybe some hopefulness. So hinge points, they're important to recognize in Scripture. They're opportunities that speak to us and remind us to realize the hinge points, those turning points, those benchmarks in our life. When we are literally turned on our heels sometimes, forced to head in a different direction, and maybe we'll see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel in the middle of all this and it's not an oncoming train. I believe it's true particularly if we have a solid understanding of who Christ is in our life, you know, hinge points, your salvation, an accident, a a birth, a death, a job change, marriage, graduation, bats in the belfry, bats in the sanctuary, you know, pandemics, the pandemic, a hurricane, all of these things just stacking up one on top of the other. And all these events not only change the trajectory of our lives, but they also inform our lives and they form our lives. Hinge points in our lives can be big and they can be small, but they are nonetheless times when we turn and we move either towards Jerusalem or we move away. Remember the doors when you're growing up. Did y'all have one of these? The the doors in your grandma's house, maybe your mom's house, the ones from the dining room, from the kitchen to the dining room, that, like if you push on a little bit, they'll swing back, and then if you push really hard, they'll just kind of swing ka-chunk. A chunk from one room to the other, purely irritating to any of the grown-ups when you've got a short person that just loves to play with that door, have it swing. I remember those so well and, you know, hinge points maybe, if we were going to call that an analogy, can be just kind of struggling with that door, knowing that maybe it can open, but we just don't know if we're prepared or there's just, they just become such a barrier for us to see what could possibly be on the other side of our struggle. And then you let it go and it swings open into the other room and you have a view of what's beyond and, well, that's only because, well, you let it go. Now, it may be a brief view. It may just swing in there for just a minute and you just see around it and then it comes back at you and into this room where you're standing. And so you maybe you can see your way through. And although you may realize that you've got to scale the dining room table, maybe for this last month, you might have to canoe the mountains, as we've talked about a lot, wonderful words. You may have to go through treatment of an illness. You may have surgery that you have to recover from. You may have to bring a a loved one through a tough and growing time. You might have to bring someone to their heavenly end. You may have to suffer, but you know nonetheless that it will be a downhill run, perhaps, because you have a plan. You can see the future towards that empty cross and that open tomb. But you know, you got to accept to, you got to agree to accept the turn. Quit fighting against it, agonizing over it. Accept the source of strength that you have, the strength that Christ has given you to do all things through him. And recognize who you are and whose you are and walk in confidence with that. So here we are at this point in Jesus' ministry where he says to them, who do others say that I am? And then he poses that super hard question. I can only imagine that he paused for a second or stopped maybe just to kind of line up with everyone's vision, make sure everybody's listening, you know. Who do you say that I am? And I can only imagine that the disciples must have been like, oh. You know, because it's no longer just general knowledge of what somebody else said. Now the heat's just kind of all on them, and they have to answer that question. And so as they sat and comprehended it, you know, they realized it was important. It was personal, and apparently only one, only one spoke up. Good old Peter. Peter answered for them all. He said, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, well, you are the Messiah. And if you read Matthew's version of this, he went on to say the son of the living God. Now, you would think at this point, it would be the place where Jesus would be like right on. Good job, y'all. You got it. You've, you figured it all out. Well, not so much. Here in this scripture, Jesus said sternly, he sternly ordered them, do not tell anyone about me. And Why? Why in the world did he say that? Well, there's no way we can know fully, but uh, he was adamant when he talked to them about that, have no conversations about me. But the conversations with Peter that followed suggested just maybe one reason. It came clear that when Peter calls him the Messiah, that maybe he had the right title, but maybe the wrong understanding of what that title means for Jesus. Y'all ever seen anybody ever see the movie Michael it's a it's a 1996 yeah I'm sorry 1996 movie John Travolta and Andy McDowell and William Hurt all together Michael is well John Travolta plays Michael the archangel Michael and so William Hurt and another tabloid writer got wind that there was a lady in Iowa harboring an angel and so they grabbed up their resident angel expert which was Andy McDowell of course and they hauled themselves over to Iowa and to check out this angel and now they so they had spent some time with him by this moment on this particular clip that I remember. They had spent some time with him and gotten to know him a little bit and they realized that, you know, Michael loved to smoke cigarettes mostly chain-smoked cigarettes. He loved sugar, he liked to, um, uh, you know, say a lot of really kind of non-angelic phrases. Yeah, pretty much. And he really, his his personal hygiene was in, in high question. And so they're sitting at a table, it's kind of in a diner, and they're all sitting around just kind of talking, and while they're talking, they're talking about, well, what they kind of expected angels to look like, what they thought an angel would really kind of be like. And so all the whole time they're talking, Michael's, you know, smoking his cigarette, and I think he's eating, I don't know, syrup on spaghetti. I'm not real sure. Not real sure. But nonetheless, they're saying, well, we just thought angels would be pure and just bright and clean and, you know, holy, not say all those things that you say, and maybe they would just maybe bathe, you know? And so Michael's listening to him, and you can kind of see him, and he just kind of leans in, pretty sure he had a cigarette in his hand. He kind of leaned in, squared them all up, and he said, I'm not that kind of angel. And so, you know, here we are. Maybe it's a bad analogy, and, uh, but, but nonetheless, here we are. Maybe this is what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples. Maybe Peter and disciples might have the right title, but the wrong under, pardon me, understanding of what that title means, and Jesus may be telling him, I'm not that kind of messiah. Maybe that's what he's trying to tell him. And then Jesus speaks quite openly that he's going to suffer and be rejected, and Peter just is not going to have any of that, and he pulled him aside. And one wonders if Peter even heard the rest of the story, the rest of Jesus' statement where he said, I'm going to rise again after three days. Peter, along with everyone else, was expecting the Messiah who would establish God's rule, the power and authority, who would bring his followers glory and reward. Well, does this need to maybe alert us today? Do we have the right title, uh, the right title, but maybe not have a full understanding of the meaning? What does it mean for us if we call Jesus our Savior? What does it mean for us? Jesus explained to Peter, you know, you're, you're getting it wrong because you're setting your mind on human things. Well, of course he is. Peter's a, he's a human. You know, he is you and me. What else can he do? What other perspective can he look from? And how else can he understand Jesus except from his human perspective? And so Jesus' words to Peter suggest that he can and must gain another one. He needs to turn a little bit on his heel and set his mind on what? Divine things. Hinging point, right? Right now, today, Jesus is telling him, guys, it's not going to be what you think and he gives them a reality. And can't you imagine that the rug just was pulled from underneath them in the hearing of all of that, the reality of it all for them. And now that Jesus has their attention, he begins to teach. And he called over the crowds and and along with the disciples, and he revealed the cost of being a follower and imploring them to turn from their selfish ways. He tells them, take up your cross and follow me. Now, once again, he knows how well that communicates to them. The Romans were Mark's original audience and they knew very well that taking up your cross meant death on a cross was a form of, well, execution for the Romans at that time. For dangerous criminals, a prisoner would carry his own cross to their place of execution and it was signifying submission to the Roman empire and the Roman rule. And so Jesus used this image of carrying the cross to illustrate plainly the ultimate submission required by his followers. Now, Jesus was talking about a heroic effort. This is no small effort that's needed to follow him moment by moment. And to do his will, even when the work is difficult and the future just looks bleak. He said, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And he goes on to say, if anyone is ashamed of me now, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns to his glory, the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, communicated knowledge and revealed knowledge. When Jesus posed that question, who do you say that I am, his motive was simply to strip away that secondhand knowledge in order to find out what God had revealed to him. Peter was the only one who answered and he blurted out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Matthew's version, Peter was not rebuked for that statement at at the time of that statement, but rather Jesus put his hand on Peter's back to affirm him and announced flesh and blood, pardon me, flesh and blood. Men have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter wasn't mimicking information that he had read online or in a random tweet. He was sharing the truth that God had imparted directly to him. Jesus declared that this type of revelation knowledge is what the church would be built on and that hell's forces could not stop those who possessed it. You know, attaining revealed knowledge, you know, sometimes we're like, well, how do we know? It's all very individual, but sometimes it's just that very still small voice deep in your heart. Other times you just simply know because the revelation has been dropped into your spirit. Other times your heart begins to race and pound and you sense the presence of God as you read scripture or in worship and study or in prayer in a beautiful song. However it comes, the bottom line is that you know that you have heard from God and this revealed knowledge cannot be taken from you. Communicated knowledge can be easily distorted and deceiving so, you know, to finish the story of my Northwestern experience, I certainly did get the anatomy and physiology teacher that doesn't have an A or a B in the alphabet of grading. I made it through his class. I actually made an A. No brag, just fact. But, you know, I, I can't even tell you the value of the knowledge and the, the long, the, the abiding knowledge that I learned from him. Very important in your nursing career, anatomy and physiology. And the instructor who eats her young, she most certainly was my first clinical instructor. I made it through with all fingers and toes, but I still esteem her and respect her so much today. We became colleagues as I went into graduate school and I even taught at Northwestern for a while. So, you know, but I found out that they those two people became my good friends. Communicated knowledge can be easily distorted and deceived. You know, hinging points in my life, you know, always landed or ended or retrospectively looked back, uh, revealing just a deeper knowledge of who God is in my life, moved my faith, you know, in those times to a place a little bit further down the road, maturing my faith as John Wesley would say. The day, days that the door swung wide, certainly the day that I accepted Christ as my Savior, litany of others, That would certainly include my call into ministry in 2012 when I began seminary and the ensuing road, the loss of my husband two and a half years ago, retiring from my medical practice a year and a half ago. You know, all of these things, amazing opportunities, and right now even just the amazing opportunity to serve here at Asbury, right here where um, really my Christian walk almost began where I kind of grew my legs and found my voice for God, right here at Asbury so many years ago, God coming full circle. God's Spirit revealed to me through all those years, and certainly in that time, the Christ in my life and who he is, the Messiah, the living God. And most recent turning point in my life, you know, I began to ask people, I'd known a gentleman for a long, long time, Began asking people about him because that's what you do. You talk to people about other people first, ask who they are. And then began asking him who he was. Developing a relationship with this gentleman, uh, y'all know him, his name's Ronnie Lawrence. And now ultimately we are engaged to be married and we'll be married in a couple of weeks. Now you may not remember anything about my whole sermon now. <laughs> Thank you. You know, that's it. Yeah. So you don't have to remember anything before this right now. But, you know, we would never have dreamed, and we've said it very many times, apart from God and the turning of our lives and being sensitive to the Spirit of God, we can't see how or vision how this new and amazing journey would have ever been started, this turn in our lives, and how it would even be possible. You know, so communicated knowledge and revealed knowledge are really just a very simple exercise in discernment, and it is hard. I say simple exercise. It's super hard. The moments of revelation in your life are hinging points. They're high points. They're the unfolding of God's will for you and for me. And Jesus puts God's perspective in stark terms for Peter and for us when he says, it's only when you have heard the true meaning of what it means to be the Messiah that we can be in a place to hear his call to follow me. Discipleship. That is the necessary outcome of confessing this Jesus to be the Messiah. And we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him into a life of serving and giving and sacrificing. And then he offers this promise. Now, this is what I call God's radical reality of belonging. And you're going to hear a lot more about that as we start the new sermon series on tattoos of the heart that Matt's going to begin next week. God's radical reality of belonging. Jesus says... Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Giving God the glory, all the glory, and the honor and praise. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God of all mercy and wisdom, I pray today that we may all seek you, turn our faces to you, I pray that even now in this complicated world and these circumstances in our lives that we can set our face to Jerusalem. That we can let go of the door and let it swing wide as we allow our faith to rise above our fear. Our eyes to see the future through your eyes, knowing that it is your desire that we know you and that we have a beautiful future and you have a beautiful plan for us. A plan to prosper us, not to harm us. A plan filled with a hope and filled with grace. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. It is you, your spirit, that reveals to us the truth. It is you that opens the heart, our hearts, to the absolute truth of who you are. You, Lord, are constantly working on the periphery of our lives to have your will and your way, and you tell us it will be good. It is in the mighty name of Jesus, Jesus, the living God, that we pray. Amen.